This episode of Superman in the Bronze Age is dedicated to the memory of Joe Kubert, a legendary comic book artist who passed away on August 12, 2012, at the age of 85. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Superman. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 55 of Superman in the Bronze Age, the only podcast or internet radio show giving exclusive coverage to Superman adventures between 1970 and 1986. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and today we are going to get into the second part of my discussion of the story For the Man Who Has Everything with Jeffrey Taylor and Billy Hogan by doing a comparison between the comic and the episode of Justice League Unlimited that adapted the story. But first, I need to point out that this episode is sponsored by the fine folks over at InStock Trades. A mainstay in the collected edition market, InStock Trades has over 13,000 individual trade paperback, graphic novel, and hardcover titles in stock and ready to ship at great discounted prices. And most orders ship within 48 hours, plus the, od- the odors, orders over $50 ship for free. Find them on the web at www.instocktrades.com. And I'd also like to take a minute to direct you to Superman's Hospital Heroes Tour. A gentleman by the name of Douglas Doro, I believe I'm saying that right, is going out to at least one children's hospital in each of the 48 continental United States and two provinces of Canada, dressed as Superman to bring some encouragement and hope to a lot of kids who could really use it uh, right about now. At each hospital, he's going to give the children an 8 by 10 autographed picture of Superman, which I'm guessing is him. Uh, A certificate of heroism in recognition for the bravery exhibited in their personal struggles and all those that they have been able to inspire with their strength in fighting their illnesses. They get to chat with the real Superman, photo opportunities and etc., and Douglas or Dustin, sorry, Dustin will be in 100% will be 100% in character the entire time. What he's doing is he's literally traveling the entire country 15,000 miles. Uh, in his car, a 2009 Dodge Caliber. And he's not planning on getting hotel rooms. He's going to spend the night in his car and shower using his nationwide LA Fitness membership. But gas and food are going to cost money. So what he's trying to do is raise some money on a website, www.indiegogo.com slash hospitalheroes, and I'll include that in the show notes. And he's uh, trying to raise money just to cover the gas and food. He's trying to live as minimal as possible during this trip. It's going to be about 100 days. His goal is to raise $6,500 so far as I'm recording this on (laughs) last minute, uh, the 13th of August. He's up to $2,177 with 24 days left. He's got different tiers from $1 up to $1,000, which can either get you a a shout-out all the way up to getting a shout-out, the picture and the certificate, everything he's giving the kids, uh, the shout-out, overwhelming gratitude, uh, plus Superman will take you out for a meal, lunch or dinner, and you can either eat with Dustin, Clark, or Superman. So it kind of works out pretty cool, uh, but I would, um, I hope you guys would con- at least consider doing this. He's starting out in Atlanta, Georgia, and then going around the country. Uh, I, th- whatever he, however he's able to do this, he's going to be bringing hope to a lot of kids that could really use it. And I mean, what's better than? making kids happy, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, again, that's www.indiegogo.com slash hospitalheroes and, you know, if you can, give a little for that. It's a, it's, it's a really good cause. Uh, next up, we have your responses to last episode's super question. As you may recall, last episode's question was pretty much what's your favorite Superman story across all forms of media? 
Now, for me, it would have to be the Manor Superman four-part story from Superman 296 to 299, which David and I covered in episodes 43, 44, and 45. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's comics, and it's from the Bronze Age. That's cheating. I know, but it's still my favorite. It just strikes a perfect balance for me between fun story and great art. Uh, The second place for me would be John Byrne's Man of Steel, but... I still find the older story a little bit more fun. Or maybe not more fun, but I just enjoy it a little bit more. Sorry, it just works out that way. Uh, Now, when I read that question last episode, both Jeffrey and Billy had answers to the question. So let's see what they had to say. Um, If we're going in continuity, I I, I would definitely say Exile in Space is my favorite. Okay, what about... But but not in... Of of anything, uh, Superman... Oh, what's it called? Secret Identity by Kurt Busiek. Oh, okay. That one where he, it's in a world where there are no superheroes and yes. stuff like that. It was I, drawn by Stuart Eminem, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Yes. And, and, and his so art work. so good. His art actually looks better in that than it did in some of the Superman actual the actual comics, too, it's, in my opinion. It's, yes, yes. And it, it is one of my favorite works of fiction, not just Superman. Oh, wow. And I, I just, I love it that much. And it, it's funny when you think about it. There is no villain in that story. Really, I have, I have it, but I haven't read it yet. I'm, There's I'm no need to, for but... for an actual villain. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that was the story that actually got Busiek to think about Superman to the point where he suddenly had this notebook full of Superman stories. Yeah, and then we unfortunately had to sit through them. Yeah, and the and they weren't super awesome. Uh. Billy, do you got one? Or yeah, of course. Uh, now, um, the, the this story we're uh, going to do uh, for the episode is like uh, one of my top five. But I have to go back to the Silver Age again for my favorite. It's uh, Superman number one sixty seven. It's got the uh, cover with uh, Superman shrunk down to like about a foot tall, and he's trapped in a bird cage. And it's got oh, okay. Luthor and Brainiac, and it's uh, the Luthor Brainiac team up. Okay, cool. Yes, and that was, I've read that one. It is pretty good. Yeah, um, and uh, over, over time, I've found found out that the cover was Carrie Bates' first sale, so to speak, uh, to DC. Uh, more, I guess, Mort Weisinger uh, bought the uh, idea for the cover. And I guess maybe the story came from there, uh, but Carrie Bates didn't get paid with money, but he got the original Kurt Swan art uh, for, that was uh, done with that uh, cover idea. And I guess it's one of his uh, prized possessions. He didn't get oh, wow. paid in he didn't get paid in money. What did they pay him in pudding? No, they, he he got he was paid in with the uh, original art that Kurt Swan drew for oh, the cover. Well, well, fair enough. All right, and let's move on to your answers. First up, we had Anthony Rooney over on the Facebook page, and he writes, "For me, it's got to be the story of Superman's creepy sand duplicate, the cover of Superman 242 with the two Supermen battling above a burning metropolis is to this day my all-time favorite cover too." And he adds a smiley, uh, smiley face to that. So thank you very much. All right, and over on the group page, we have Lee Busby writes, "I'll probably be chastised for this." And it may be cheating the question a little bit, but I will say Episode 1, Season 7 of Smallville, titled Bizarro. I enjoyed the whole Bizarro arc, but this episode in particular for that brief moment when Clark, in the midst of brawling with Bizarro, stops to use his heat vision to save a young boy and his unconscious father from an oncoming flood. Then, in what I take to be one of Clark's greatest Superman moments in the entire series, gives the young boy a reassuring nod and brief smile, perhaps at their shared secret, before running off after Bizarro. That's Superman to me. I I like that. I have seen that scene. I also like that scene, so I'm not going to give you any crap for that. Thank you, Lee. And Lee is one of the co-hosts of Pad Smash, Incredible Hulk podcast with J. David Weider and Michael Bailey. Jan Roman Picula. I hope I'm saying your name right. Uh, He says, That's a real tough question, Charlie, since there are so many good stories to choose from. But if I have to pick one, 
I'd go for Panic in the Sky. The great artwork throughout, the enormous cast of characters, and the fact that Superman got a leader role for the first time in the post-crisis universe makes this just one of my all-time favorites. Another good one. Uh, David Riley writes, I like Superman vs. The Amazing Spider-Man the best. I remember buying it at a drugstore. I had to spend two weeks allowance for it, but I thought it was worth it. Thank you, David. And Eric Mannix writes in, All-Star Superman number 6. Clark flies toward Pa Kent so fast his hair catches on fire. Pa Kent's death in this issue made me cry like a little girl. True story. Well... Thank you, Eric. That is a good scene. Uh, Paul Riches writes, For the man who has everything and the wedding album. Okay. Thank you, Paul. And it's funny because I got two responses from Andrew Leyland of Hey Kids Comics. His first response, I have given this huge thought. In the Bronze Age, I think my answer would be Superman 233. But Superman 400, Superman 296 to 299, Superman 380 and 381, Superman 385 and 386, Action Comics 544 through 546, and Action 551 would be very close. Wow. Not only did you give a lot of thought, I think you did some research in there, Andy. Thank you very much. That's, that's That's a lot of comics. But then, Andrew came back, like literally two minutes later, and writes, However, you said, of all time, I am an umpty. My all-time favorite Superman story is the untold story of Red Kryptonite from Superman number 139. There you go. Even though he spelled favorite wrong, I thank you, Andy. And of course, it's Hey Kids Comics, uh, Andy... I hope he doesn't mind that I call him Andy. Andrew Leyland is the co-host of Hey Kids Comics with his son, Michael Leyland. He also co-hosts the Fantastic Cast with Stephen Lacey, which is also a lot of fun. There's just a little more cussing in that one, so, you know, whatever. Um, But I want to thank everyone who responded. Did get an email response, but that's... That's all right. Now, I know what you're thinking. What's the new super question, Charlie? Well, I'm glad you asked. The next question, drumroll please. Who is your favorite Superman writer? Now, this one we're going to keep to the comics just to make things easier. um, Because there have been a lot of people that have written radio shows, movie serials, cartoons, movies, TV shows. So, we're just going to leave it at comics. But it does span all eras, so, you know, everything from Jerry Siegel up to, uh, who's coming, uh, Scott Lobdell is getting ready to come on soon. So, anywhere in there. Uh, so, again, email send the email to superbronze1970 at gmail.com or post your answer on one of the Facebook pages. And now that the preamble's finished, and we play a couple promos, Billy, Jeffrey, and I will return with our look at the animated version of For the Man Who Has Everything. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. The funeral is over. Jonathan Kent is on the mend. No way. How's Clark's father? Oh, much, much better. Lois has returned home. Lois, over here! Harry, what? Since when did you start meeting your staff at the airport? How'd you know I was returning on that flight? A good editor checks out his answers, Lois. I got a hot story of once you went straight away. I'm parked over here. But just as Metropolis has learned to live without the Man of Steel... I know, there was only one Superman, but Metropolis just hit the jackpot. Because we got four Supermen now, and nobody knows which of them, if any, is the real McCoy. Four beings of incredible power and intellect have laid claim to the Man of Steel's name. The last son of Krypton. I live. The Man of Steel. Man of Steel coming through. Nobody moves. This is a bust. The Cyborg. Yes, I'm Superman. 
I'm back. The boy of steel. Put me down! Listen, pal, don't ever call me super boy. Capiche? The reign of the Superman is upon us. And so, from crisis to crisis, a Superman podcast begins its epic coverage of this last act in the epic Death and Return of Superman saga. Every week, Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor, along with the best and the brightest in the podcasting community, will cover this event in all of its forms, from the comics to the novelizations to the audio drama and beyond. Superman is back, but is any of them the real Man of Steel? Find out on From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, located at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. enjoy time travel in general and the Silver Age of comic books in particular? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast. My name is Billy Hogan and I will be your host. Together we'll crash through the time barrier and fly into the past to explore the Silver Age adventures of Superman. One week we will take a look at the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and soon, Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. The next week, we will feature the Man of Steel's titles, Superman, and Action Comics, which will include the Supergirl stories during her run in the back of that title. You can join me each week on Wednesday or Thursday at the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, which is available on iTunes. And your emails are always welcome at supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. going to talk about this issue being adapted. What year was that? 2004, maybe? Two? Three? Justice League Unlimited from Bruce Tim and Company and Warner Brothers Animation adapted this story. It was written by J.M. Demetrius. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And uh, it's not a complete adaptation. They didn't have Robin in it because it was Justice League. And they changed a few things, but for the um, but for the most part, they kept they tried to keep the main point of the story, where Superman uh, is under the effects of the Black Mercy, remembers his life on Krypton, eventually realizes it's not real. Uh, Batman takes off the is able to finally remove the Black Mercy, and Superman beats the crap out of Mongol after Mongol's been beating the crap out of Wonder Woman. Although she does a little bit better in this version. Um, but then um, Batman's under the control of the Black Mercy and he's eventually saved and before Mongol can finally kill Superman he gets hit with the Black Mercy and it ends with him under its control. 
But that's the main point. There are some differences. There's some similarities. And apparently we've got some notes about them. So I'm going to start with Jeffrey because he has the most notes. Okay, I can do that. Okay, my, my notes, I actually have a, a fair amount of them. I'm going to try and breeze through them quickly. I know this episode's running pretty long. Uh, it does. The opening sequence is slightly si- simpler. It's just Wonder Woman's jet with Batman and no Robin, and it's the animated fortress, so it has to go underwater. And I, I dig that it, it's basically the comic book story, but it does take the animated series information, the animated series stuff. It, it does pull from Batman the animated series as well as Superman the animated series. Mm-hmm. And so, that, so that's the only way that you can get to the fortress in, the, in this one. And Batman just got him cash for his birthday, and Wonder Woman's the one who got him the, the Krypton Rose. So that's another change. They, they changed the opening sequence, the, the, the opening where, where the theme music plays, and they put in scenes from this episode, and I don't remember them doing that for other episodes, but I could Actually, be mistaken. I remember that. They, um, they did that for the first few episodes because they didn't have the animation on any of the other episodes of the season ready gotcha. yet. Okay. So they didn't get the full theme that they were going to use. So until then, they were actually throwing in scenes for um, for that episode. So it happens in the first sev- uh, I don't remember exactly how many, but first okay. three or four maybe episodes. Okay. So he um, okay. Everything else is very similar up to that point, even down to a lot of the details. A lot of the dialogue is taken directly from the comic. Um, when Superman he he's on Krypton. It's the animated Krypton when he when he wakes up. And it is clearly a mix of Lana and Lois from Superman the Animated Series. It's, Lo- it's Lois's voice. That is Dana Delaney. And her eyes. It's Lana's hair. And her, her character name is Loana. Oh, she actually has a name? Yes. Okay. I didn't notice her name. Loana. That makes perfect Lo- sense. Yeah, so Lois, Lana, Loana. I like how it's a mixing of the story that we, we already have from the Animated Series. The basic of the comics. Mm-hmm. But at least she's not voiced by Shelley Fabre. <laughs> because that was Superman sleeping with his mother. So. Yeah, that'd be weird. Yeah, a little bit. And um, Argo is a city that was already established in Superman the Animated Series, so, so they talk about that here. And when Mongol, it, it, it still feels like he's showing up earlier than I remember, but it is about the same place as it was in the comic. I'm not a huge fan of Eric Roberts as Mongol. But I can see why it should work, but for me it just doesn't. Okay. Clearly the males are the males on this world are the smart ones. It kinda kills the original line from the comic, but okay. <laughs> I I love how Mongol assumes that Superman's wish would be to, to be on a throne because he doesn't he doesn't buy into the selfless hero shtick. And that's actually different from the comic, because he thought yes. he would be on some backwater place that he was from. And Van is is still part part of this. I don't think that the that the daughter is in it that I remember. And Brainiac, Brainiac is thrown in because he was part of Krypton before it exploded. And there's Crypto. Yep. And my dog poops in the house sometimes too, so I understand. Yeah, I like I, how he slipped. Yeah, that was, was funny. That was unfortunate. I I do love how um. Cal and Loana interact because it is clear that they are in love. We do get a lovey-dovey moment followed directly by Wonder Woman fighting Mongol, which is great juxtaposition. <laughs> and it's, it's great how the Black Mercy plant, the, the tentacles all move. And I, I might have missed that if I were in charge of the, of the animation. I might have not even thought about that. Because it is a plant, and most plants don't move quite like that. Wonder Woman exactly. Wonder Woman with the gun is exactly like it is in the comic. Yes. Jorel here, who is voiced by uh, Christopher McDonald, is in he isn't insane like he was in, in the comic. And it's too bad that it couldn't be explored more in, in the comic, but again, no biggie. And the, the death of Krypton idea is really prevalent here. Like it's it's about to happen, but Jarrell had been wrong before. Mm-hmm. Um, the same. I, I figured out that the kid who plays Van also does the does the voice of young Bruce. Oh, okay. And that really, makes sense. 
it, it's a really sad moment telling Van that he de- that Cal doesn't think that he's real, and there hadn't been any mention of Superman being able to choose to break out of it. And I actually prefer the idea that he does totally on his own. But we but we do miss that. Kevin Conroy did voice Joe Chill in his own dream sequence. But but it's it's in his head, so I, I guess I can kind of make sense of it that way. I'm not sure if he played if he voiced Joe Chill in the actual anime. Maybe I'm thinking of uh, the Mask of the Phantasm. Then uh, they show Batman helping to get the Black Mercy off, but I still think it was Superman's doing that got it loose, even though it's not explained. As soon as Superman wakes up, it is freaking on, and I love this so much. Superman's just putting the down on Mongol. And then they go to the zoo part of the fortress, just like they did in the comic, but it's the animated series version of the zoo, which are all animals that uh, Superman actually rescued during the Lobo <laughs> And I have this this quote that I had to write down. Leave without sacrificing your desire. It's a great line that wasn't in the comic. And mm-hmm. then I described it getting out of it. It's like tearing off your own arm. And that moment when Superman says, Do you know what I've lost? And then he sees the, the monuments to Krypton, to Jor-El and Lara there. And uh, one a good quote. For a moment there, I almost thought you were going to kill me. And in the comics, he was about to make that happen, because that, that was Mongol's line. Yes. Without Robin, I, I like that it's Wonder Woman um, who put the the Black Mercy on, on Mongol. And the only thing that we really do miss is what Wonder Woman would have seen with the Black Mercy on her. And that's yeah. And Wonder Woman was the one who brought the Krypton Rose, but it isn't just shrugged off here the way that I felt that it was shrugged off. Billy and I did talk about that, but it makes him look up at the monuments again, and then he promises to never forget this thing that was never actually real, because it was real to him. So he's, he's making a promise to, I guess, the 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 spirits that... Okay. That's what I've got. All right, Billy, do you have anything? Um, Jeffrey pretty much covered uh, <laughs> all the points that I had. Uh, I, I do like it that in the uh, animated uh, series adaption of the story that it was Wonder Woman uh, who was able to you know, defeat Mongol by dropping the uh, Black Mercy on him, whereas in the comic book story, you know, she did, she's the one that got the short end of the fight all the, all the way around, even more than Superman did. Um, I think the part with, when he, uh, Kal-El and Van visited Jor-El, uh, he wasn't as bitter as he was uh, in, the, uh, in the comic book. They dropped all, all the political in- Kryptonian political intrigue, and uh, it wasn't as uh, depressing of a scene because it seemed to indicate that uh, Jor-El in the, in the animated series adaption had kind of regained some of his reputation or re- been able to re- rehabilitate himself. So it wasn't as depressing. And um, I think that's all I have uh, about it. Other than it was uh, an excellent episode. I, w- I would have liked to have seen the the line think clean thoughts chum but maybe that would have been a little too much for an all ages uh cartoon yeah although to be honest justice league was a little more adult than any of the other animated series um but i i see what you mean i liked as you guys had mentioned i liked how it started uh, off with the coming in in the jet and Batman actually rode with her. It makes perfect sense because you got to go underwater. You can't just lift a door or, you know, open a door. Um, the political intrigue and stuff, I can see what, how that was removed. One, probably for time restraint constraints. And also, uh, it makes sense because 
since Jorel didn't have, you know, they couldn't take the time for Jorel to actually have a problem with any of it. Uh, one, it made Jorel seem a little more, I guess, normal to as what we had seen previously on Superman: The Animated Series. But it also meant that they could still show Krypton kind of as the utopia that it is usually uh, shown to be as. Um, everything looked happy and clear that on that on that Krypton. I liked at the beginning of the ep- of the ser- of the episode when Kal-El says window and you get the cornfields. And he still like so he still likes you know part of his heart's desire is that he's a farmer but he's on Krypton. So part of the t- his two worlds coming together. Um I like the thing with Loanna. Um Let's see. And and she's a reporter. She was covering an event the previous night. So she is a reporter, so that works. Um, I liked how Van was basically in... with some color changes. Basically was in a similar outfit to what Jor-El was wearing. But Superman's outfit was completely different. And... I didn't realize how much the Krypton designs were inf- or later influenced the futuristic designs from Batman Beyond with those kind of floating patches things on the arms. Um, let's see what else. Um, it makes complete sense. Uh, it actually is kind of was kind of a funny scene with Batman and and Wonder Woman talking about the presents. And ba- and she was asking Bruce, you didn't get him a che- a gift card or something, and he's like, no, I got him cash. I thought that was pretty funny, and it makes sense that he would have to do that while Wonder Woman gave him the flower because Candor is not a part of the animated universe continuity, so they had to do something, and it was probably easier to it would probably make it makes much more sense um, for Wonder Woman to come up with the new flower than to have her come up with something different. So I thought that made perfect sense. And let's see. Um, it's, I, I, did, I did not realize how similar the fight got. Like, like Jeffrey said, um, once I wish, though, that Superman had done the loud Mongol thing. But Superman flies off to the Hall of Weapons where Wonder Woman and Mongol are fighting. Superman smashes him up through the floor through the through the roof of that room or through the ceiling, I guess would be the better way. And they're in the zoo, and then he gets sma- uh, Mongol ends up smashing Superman through the floor again and they're back near the Krypton statue. All the same as the fight in the comic. Uh Wonder Woman at one point looks like she's got a broken arm and she's having to drag herself over to Bruce to try to save him. Uh, they didn't go quite as far into Bruce's, uh, what Bruce saw, or Batman, sorry, because in the comic, you actually got the scene finished where the gunshot missed and everything, and then, of course, without seeing it, we're told later that he ends up getting married and having a daughter. In the Flash, in the Black, his Black Mercy state, uh, basically, the first time we see it, he he and his parents are walking down the alley. Joe Chill comes out, and Thomas Wayne goes up and starts punching the guy. And then next time we see it, we resume from that same place. And as Wonder Woman's removing the Black Mercy, t- suddenly Thomas Wayne, who's been beating the cr- the tar out of this guy, suddenly gets pushed away, and there's a gunshot. So I thought that worked out. That looked pretty cool. And was Bat... Batman didn't get bandaged up by the end, did he? I don't think so. Um, but other than that, I I I liked it a lot. It um, it definitely worked well. I kind of wish Robin could have been in it, but you know, I also thought it actually kind of worked. Like Billy said, that Wonder Woman was the one to throw the flower because he was belittling women the whole time. So, inasmuch as it worked for Robin because he was considered to be an insignificant little speck, it also works for Wonder Woman since she was considered to be the insignificant woman of the group, that she was the one to throw down the flower. 
Uh, of course, then again, it also would have worked for Batman since he was just a lowly human. So it depends on how you want to look at it, but it still worked for me. Other than that, I really enjoyed it. I even got my wife to watch it, and she liked it. Which is saying something. Yeah, I don't know if I could get my wife to watch it. She's not into... I mean, she she's... I've taken her to see the big uh, superhero movies like Thor and the Avengers, but I don't know if I could get her to watch... Uh, animated cartoon yeah i'm i'm kind of the same way and when i got my wife to watch thor i i actually just said hey do you want to watch the new kenneth branagh movie (laughs) nice and she she didn't know what it was until it started so yeah she um my wife isn't is pretty good with these things she'll she she's gone to the movies she's actually gotten to a point where she likes watching the movies because she can't really she can't really get into a comic book but it's she likes the way that the you know how they depict the characters in most of these movies. She really liked Dark Knight, uh, yeah, Dark Knight. But um, you know she liked the Avengers and all the all the superhero movies we've seen. And she, but she, it's one of those things. It's a, a lot of people still have this. It's the the divert the aversion to animation that we have because you know when you think of animation these days most people think of little kid cartoons like Dora or Spongebob and it's hard to wrap your head around something a little more serious like Justice League or Young Justice so um, but she actually does like the Justice League cartoons and has watched those with me so it's been pretty cool she she doesn't like watching video games or she, and she doesn't isn't very good at playing video games but she likes watching the cartoons but well, anyway, um, I think that concludes our coverage. Did anyone else have anything else they wanted to say? I think, well, from, from my point of view, I said everything that I that I need to say. Okay, cool, I th- Billy. I think the the only thing I want to add was I liked how in Alan Moore's writing how he handled the transitions from the scenes on Krypton to the scenes at the fortress that he would take a phrase. Or uh, this contrast to the what was in the last panel of one scene, and compare or contrast it to something in the next scene. To it made an interesting transition, where you could tell that what was going on in the fortress, Superman was somehow still aware of, if, if only in his subconscious, and it was impacting on his dream. And we saw a little bit of that type of scene transition in Watchmen, I think. So I kind of, I kind of like that little storytelling technique. Okay, cool. Yeah, they had it with the flashbacks there, right? I'm, I'm, I'm actually, without even having read this story, what, what I've come up with so far for season four of Slipstream will involve some similar ideas, especially with the flashbacks. Okay, cool. Just be, so, be, be, because of the nature of something that's going to be happening in it and very much has to do with the final page of Season 3. There's your teaser, folks. Make sure you check it out. Slipstream Comics at www.clockworkcomics.co.uk as well as many other comics. Yes. Um, so make sure you check all those out. Now, before we go, I know I mentioned everything at the top of the show, but I... Well, I might have missed something. So why don't we do do a real quick rundown of what you guys do on the Internet. Billy? Uh, uh, Beyond uh, drawing and lettering slipstream at clockworkcomics.co.uk, I also host the usually weekly Superman Fan Podcast at thesupermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com where I cover the uh, Silver Age. Um, My schedule's been a little bit wacky the last couple of weeks so I've gotten behind but the next episode will cover the uh, Silver Age Superman Annual Number 2 which will feature uh, will will reprint the origin stories of some of Superman's greatest villains sweet and Jeffrey if you have time uh, uh, let's see what do I do I, I write slipstream and in some ways, I'm kind of an armchair editor. 
on that. I <laughs> hadn't noticed. Yeah, I I write uh, two columns on movies.com as well as several other things. I do Man of Steel countdown, and I also do. I I haven't done one in a while. They, they, I found them kind of hard to do, but I'm going to try and get one out this week. It's called the Geek Debate, and I think this time I'm going to try and compare uh, the two the Burton Batman franchise to the Nolan Batman franchise. And because it, because it's always about debating, and I have to throw up a throw up a question, give an answer, and give a justification for it, that that kind of thing. Um, Jeffrey is a master debater. Yes, I'm I'm very masterful at my debating. But <laughs> what else do I do? I'm a staff writer on the Superman homepage. I do the caption contest there. It's been a while, but I sometimes do the animated series reviews, which I need to catch up on. Are you reviewing any comics now? Because I know you were doing the tie in with the online game. Are you doing anything else now? No. Okay. It's 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 all it too much. Doesn't sound like you'd have much time. No, that but... was that was too much for me to do. I I didn't realize it was going to be a a bi-weekly comic. For, oh, okay. For I think it was 6 months. No, no, it yeah, was a bi-weekly like comic that. for a full year and the story got really really bad. Yes. So it, it it got to be less and less fun. What else do I do? I co-host from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast with Billy Hogan. With Billy Hogan. With Michael <laughs> Bailey. Wow. Okay. Uh, I, I co-host a monthly podcast, Green Lantern's Light, all about Green Lantern starting around 1984 with the beginning of Len Wein's run and moving onward. That's at GreenLanternsLight.com, and I co-host that with Michael Bradley and J. David Weeder. I occasionally do other. I occasionally do a podcast or two on movies.com as well. I I just had a job interview yesterday, so that'll make me busier if I get it. So fingers Yay. crossed. Good Yay. luck. Thank you. What else do I I do other things? What do I do? That uh, uh, must be everything. <laughs> that sounds it's, about it's, right. It's close enough. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. The Superman Podcast Network dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman Golden Age Superman The Superman Fan Podcast Superman in the Bronze Age From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast. I've got a few things to say about Superman. The Superman Vidcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from SupermanHomepage.com As well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton and Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton from Hendon Audio Production. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com Look, up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com The Adventures of Superboy. Exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy, who even as an infant demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of Earthlings. Superboy, who as Clark Kent, mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. Welcome back to Superboy in the Bronze Age. I am J. David Weeder, taking a look at just that, Superboy's Adventures in the Bronze Age of Comics. 
This time around, I'm picking up with the third of four chapters from DC's all-new collector's edition C-55, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, a four-part extravaganza. Brought to you by writer Paul Levitz, penciler Mike Grell, inker Vince Coletta, letterer Gaspar Saladino, and colorist Jerry Serpy. Now, last time we saw Superboy arrive in the 30th century for Saturn Girl's wedding to Lightning Lad, and we had found that the future had changed somewhat in the somewhere in the time stream. But Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad were kidnapped on the way to their honeymoon, causing the Legion to split, with Wildfire leading a rescue mission of his fellow Legionnaires, and Superboy taking a portion of the team to find a supposed spot in time where things diverged. Primarily, the focal point seems to be the dissolution of the United Nations in 1978, which is where we pick up for Chapter 3, The Twisted History Mystery. Superboy and his group of Legionnaires, including Brainiac 5, Karate Kid, Mon-El, and Sunboy, touch down in the year 1978, but because this is the era of Superman, Superboy must stay behind in the time bubble rather than risk running into his past future self. Legionnaires disguise themselves in the 70s fashion and ask around the UN about the state of affairs, focusing on key delegates involved with the dissolution, but even armed with the information that the linchpin is a single mysterious man, the Legionnaires are unable to stop the dissolution of the United Nations, and the mysterious man leaves the building afterwards, trailed by the Legionnaires, to the site of the closed New York World's Fair pavilion. When the Legionnaires get there, they are defeated by the machines of the Time Trapper, a long-standing Legion villain with control over time itself. The Time Trapper escapes to the end of time, leaving only Superboy left standing, helplessly watching within the time bubble. So ends chapter 3, but begins my notes. Right at the beginning, on pages 32 and 33, the Legion arrives in the 20th century on a brilliant two-page splash by Grell, which is made all the more epic by the big screen format of the Treasury Edition's uh, tabloid size. But Superboy is left out of the action on page 34, which is kind of a downer for me. Yet, we get a funny moment on page 35, with the homeless man watching as Princess Projectra disguises the Legionnaires. Dropping the bottle, he runs off, having perceived some sort of sorcery. And then pages 36 and 37 are actually a two-page interlude. Uh, it's a spread showing the Legion lineup from its initiation in 2959 with the three originals, Lightning Lad, Saturn Girl, and Cosmic Boy, to the founding of the bigger, less rocket-shaped headquarters in 2968 with an expanded cast, to the Legion we are reading right now in 2978. I have a gripe and only one gripe about this spread, because otherwise it's gorgeous. Mike Grell does some amazing art. But the original Legionnaires are being held aloft atop of a cake by Superboy. But Chameleon Boy is also in that grouping, which kind of throws off the symbolism for me. But anyway, we get back to the story with some excellent depictions of the United Nations building interiors on page 38. I don't know how heavy the security was at the UN in the 1970s, but I'm pretty sure strangers from the future wouldn't be allowed to wander the halls and talk to delegates today as we see on page 39. I don't think the access would be there in a post-9-11 world. Uh, we get more UN imagery, this time the exteriors on page 40, with the United States flag flying at half-mast, which is not the correct protocol for lowering the flag, if I remember my lessons clearly. Page 41, during the car chase, we see a truck with the word Schwartz's toys listed on it, a clear reference to editor Julius Schwartz. Pages 44 and 45, the Legion fights the machines of the Time Trapper's lair, so we, we see a basic display of their powers, and we get a miscolored Monel. so it looks like Superboy in the top panel of page 45, which threw me off on initial read. And we come to the end, and the reveal of the villain, with the Legion defeated, which is where we will pick up next time around. So far, I'm, I'm saving most of my overall thoughts for the wrap-up next time, but overall, it's been an exciting story. In Chapter 1, we kind of had the Legion coming together, setting it up. Chapter 2, we had one team. Chapter 3, we have another. So expect in Chapter 4, some sparks to fly as we come back together. Because Wildfire is a little ticked that Superboy took some of the Legionnaires and risked the rescue mission of uh, Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad. And now, well, the Legion's just had their butts handed to them. So everybody's going to be a little bit cranky in Chapter 4. So join me next time when we complete the adventure with Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. Until then, I am J. David Weeder, sending you back to Mr. Charlie Niemeyer. 
And thanks, David. All right, so that's going to wrap up things for this episode. Again, I'd like to thank Jeffrey and Billy for being on the show. Uh, Billy hosts the Superman Fan Podcast, which you can find at the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com. And for more from Jeffrey, you can hear him on From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast with Michael Bailey, which can be found at the Superman homepage. And on Green Lantern's Light with Michael Bradley and J. David Weeder at greenlanternslight.com. And of course, J. David Weeder can be found on Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast with Michael Bailey and Lee Busby at IncredibleHulkSmash.com. And with John Wilson on the new 52 Adventures of Superman at new52superman.libson.com. So once again, thank you for listening and come back next time to see if I sound any different after I've turned 32. You have been warned. So long, everybody. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. The home of the show is at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, where you will find show postings, links to the RSS and iTunes feeds, and more. You can also find the show on Facebook, where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted, and on Stitcher Smart Radio. Superman in the Bronze Age is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. There you will not only find postings for this show, but also for many other Superman-related podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you for listening, and God bless. show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.